Hey everyone, it's Marvin. Thanks for listening to the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, this week, I'm actually in Denver for a podcast conference, so our regular episode of Good Pop will be coming a few days late, probably on Saturday. But I don't want to leave you hanging, so um, we're going to share with you the first episode of a new podcast from our partner, Tenderfoot TV, called Dear Alana. It's about a young woman who disappeared from Boulder, Colorado in 2019. She left behind two dozen journals chronicling her love of the outdoors, ultimate frisbee, and a dream of becoming a nun. She also kept a secret, one that put her dream at risk. At 14 years old, Alana confessed to her priest that she was attracted to women, and she was instructed not to tell her parents. Over the next seven years, Alana covertly received conversion therapy, which her family believes played a role in her fate. Host Simon Ken Fung explores Alana's life and the parallels with his own experiences. Simon also underwent conversion therapy for nearly a decade in his efforts to become a priest. He is compelled to uncover the truth of what really happened to Alana and finally face what happened to him. Dear Alana is available now. Find and listen to all episodes for free on Apple Podcasts or binge the entire season ad-free at tenderfootplus.com. Now here's episode one of Dear Alana. Dear Alana is released weekly, every Tuesday, and brought to you absolutely free. But if you want to binge the whole season right now, Subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get exclusive bonus episodes throughout the season. For more information, check out the show notes. Enjoy the episode. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV or their employees. The following episode contains references to suicide. If you or someone you know is in need of help, please contact the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988. Listener discretion is advised. It's my birthday, and you can tell from my voice that I'm not as excited to turn 38 as my nephews are. I thought my life would look pretty different. My younger self would have guessed that I'd be married by now. Not single and newly unemployed, having just burned out of the tech career I'd spent so much of my life building. I remember birthdays as a kid. When I turned seven, my dad taught me how to ride a bike for the first time. Life was, in some ways, so much simpler but still kind of terrifying. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and not just the occasional Sunday Mass. As a kid, and throughout my early adult years, I actually wanted to become a priest. This might sound intense, but for Catholics, the purpose of life isn't to become a good person, or even to become a priest, but it's to become a saint. Saints, they said, were united with the people here on earth from beyond the grave in a kind of mystical way. At first, this scared me, thinking about the dead having an influence on the living. But the saints, they wanted to help us. I remember praying to St. Anthony when I couldn't find my pencil case, and he totally came through. But if you had told me that someone who died, who I'd never met, would take me from my life in San Francisco, compel me to spend the next three years following her story, 
and make me confront my biggest fears in real time, I wouldn't have believed you. That would be taking this mystical concept too far. Hi, my name's Alana, and last summer I went to Camp Watiwa, and one of the most profound experiences I had was there on the rock climbing wall. This is Alana Chen. She's 16 and standing in front of the Rocky Mountains, where she's attending an outdoor Catholic summer camp. And as I was going, I was climbing, really excited, but eventually I got to this place where I was just stuck on the rock, and the people that were helping me were trying to tell me like which way to go so that I could keep going, keep climbing up. and. I just didn't want to listen. So for a while I blocked them out, but I was still stuck. So I was just stuck there, um, holding, clinging on. Lana's from a small town outside of Boulder, Colorado. She works at an ice cream shop called Sweet Cow. Her favorite flavor is chocolate oatmeal stout. And eventually I just got more and more tired and weaker. And they just kept saying, okay, just let go. If you let go of the rock, like the rope will just swing you back to that straight path. And still, I didn't want to listen to them. Alana's really good at Ultimate Frisbee. Her team makes it to the state finals. But she's a little different from the rest of her teammates. That's because, since she was 13, she's wanted to become a nun. But eventually, as I just sat there, I just heard in my heart this voice that was just saying, let go. Just let go of anything you're holding on to, your pride or your fear, and the ropes will catch you. And in reality, it was like God would catch me in that moment um, because I could just let go and not be afraid anymore. I remember the day I learned about Alana. It was December 2019, and I was scrolling on my phone when I came across the news of a girl from Boulder, Colorado, who wanted to become a nun, was told to keep a secret, and who died at the age of 24 with her entire life ahead of her. Breaking from overnight, Louisville police are searching for a missing 24-year-old woman. Our Denver 7's Addie Guajardo sat down with her family, and Addie, they tell you they believe conversion therapy played a role. Yes, the mother says her daughter first opened up to a priest at her church when she was just 14 years old. However, the church denies any conversion therapy was done. I froze. My blood went cold, and it felt like time stopped. You see... I recognized the kind of religious community that Alana was a part of, the kind of counsel and therapy she allegedly received that promised to convert her sexuality, even the way the church responded. I recognized these things because, even though I'm a decade older than her, Alana's story sounded strikingly similar to mine. I went on Facebook and started searching. I found Alana's mother, who had just posted about how Alana had sought a controversial kind of therapy against her parents' wishes. Overcome with I don't know what, I wrote to her, sharing things I never talk about with anyone, things I've kept secret. I told her about how I'd always wanted to be a priest when I grew up, that to me, conversion therapy wasn't a buzzword. I'd spent my 20s trying to change my sexual orientation and even sought one of the most acclaimed Catholic therapists to help me. And I shared how important the church still was in my life. I had no expectations that she would get back to me. I just wanted her to know that maybe someone out there understood. A few months later, Alana's mother, Joyce, wrote back to me, and we talked on the phone. 
her grief was palpable. She shared memories of Alana and blamed herself for not knowing earlier or doing more. We stayed in touch like this over the months through emails and phone calls. Sometimes she'd send a single text in the middle of the night saying, I miss her so much. While all of this might seem like any other tragedy, just another example of a young life cut too short, I wonder if there's more to this story. Memories that I thought were behind me keep flooding back. And my gut tells me there's more to her death than what's been in the news. I need to know, how does someone who seemed to do everything right go from wanting to become a nun to telling reporters that if there is a God, he doesn't need me talking to him anymore? This is the story of a girl caught between earnest faith and the American culture wars, teenage rebellion and spiritual manipulation, the promise of purity and the price we pay to belong. And this is my story of how a girl I never met would turn my faith and my life upside down. From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Simon Kent Fung. And this is Dear Alana. Part 1. Mom. It's been a year and a half since I first reached out to Alana's mother, Joyce. She texted me earlier in the day, and we talked about how great it would be to finally meet up in person. Having just spent time with my family for my birthday, I've been thinking about Alana and her family a lot. Joyce has had a hard time going through Alana's stuff, and she mentioned that she wants to write a book about her one day. Making a trip out to Boulder, maybe I could help her organize Alana's computer and fix her email, that sort of thing. I glance down at my dog, Sophie, who looks up from the couch in my one-bedroom apartment, my box of work stuff still unpacked. It's painfully obvious I have nothing tethering me here, so I book a flight to Colorado. As I pick up my rental car and drive towards Boulder, I'm struck by how flat and wide this part of Colorado is. Compared to San Francisco, everything feels spread out. Just passed by a tattoo and art gallery. In between each city are stretches of cornfields and ranch land and dominoes and nail salons. But the sky is everywhere. The sky and the mountains are everywhere. As I pull up into the parking lot of her apartment complex, I can't believe I'm finally going to meet this woman who I've been texting and talking with for so long. Joyce? A dark-haired woman calls to me from the second floor. She comes down to let me in. Hi! Oh, oh I can't believe you're here. I can't believe it either. This is so surreal. <laughs> you look great. Oh, you look great. Thank you. Really you. I know it's... Little makeup can do some <laughs> Joyce is tall and striking in person with a dark olive complexion and a wide smile. She's 60 and has this disarming yoga mom energy. She lives alone on the outskirts of Boulder, having gotten divorced about eight months ago, while Alana's father, Mike, kept the house. The kids have all moved away, and Joyce and Mike share custody of their two dogs, who are with her this week. Oh my gosh. Oh, 
Her small apartment is full of light and tastefully decorated with white furniture. Beautiful. Look at how you've done this place up. Yeah, I have a lot of Alana in here. She eagerly shows me around. It's like everywhere. Really? Well, that's her picture from her birthday. Along the walls of the entrance is one of the last photos of Alana, head tilted and holding two packages in her hands. I recognize this photo from the missing person's police report. That was right two months before she passed. She's so happy. Yeah. And then, um... But what, what were the gifts that she's holding? Oh, some of my friends, they got her hiking socks because she loved to go hiking and climbing. Oh. Yeah, and then it's funny, these shoes. She was also, like, outdoorsy, but then she'd do fashion. Like, she'd pick something like that, and I'd be like, I'd never wear something like that. But yeah, we went heels. to the monastery for that retreat. That was October. Yeah. And we, there's a thrift shop, so she picked those out and some uh-huh. cool pants. And, and that's um, the art. She did that in high school. No way. We're standing in front of an impressive canvas of pink and crimson flowers. Stained glass? You know what? It looks like stained glass. Everybody says that she made it out of pieces of magazine. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. She's got a great eye. Yeah, she was so artistic. And wow. Finally, before, like, she finally said, I'm going to. I'm going to be an artist. I'm like, yes, that's what you already are. But I have everything. I have, so I'll show you. But take it. Oh my yeah, gosh, I'll just leave this here. Do you any ice water or salsa water? Alana was born in October of 1995, the third of four children. Compared to her rattier siblings, Alana was the shy, sensitive, empathetic kid. I feel like she had this quiet but really funny sense of humor. This is Carissa, Alana's older sister, two years apart. The more I learn about Alana, the more this picture of a quiet, bright goofball emerges. Like, she'll tell you these stories, and you're just like, what on earth? You dislocated your shoulder and then put it back in place on your own? She remembers the first time she tried to throw a party while her parents were away. And she was like, why are you cleaning so much? I was like, oh, I like just want to have a clean house while mom and dad are gone for the weekend. Alana quickly caught on after seeing the bags of alcohol in Carissa's bedroom. And then she texted me a few hours later and she was like, I know you're having a party tonight. Don't lie to me. I don't care, but don't let anyone sleep in my room. I was like, okay, fair. Carissa threw the party. All was well. A whole year passes by, and she decides to tell my mom because she can't hold it in any longer. And my mom was like, you're grounded. I was like, for what? She's like, one year ago, you had a party. And so Alana told me about it. And I was just like, Alana, are you kidding me? And my mom was so upset. She was like, you made your sister keep that from me all this time. I was like, well, I didn't realize it was bothering her so much. Like, that was annoying to me. Back at the apartment, Joyce is going through some family photos. So that's Mike's mother. He's full Chinese. He was born in the U.S., in New York. York. And and your background is? My mom, her parents were Puerto Rican. And then my dad was born in Brooklyn, but his parents were Italian. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it was quite a mix. She continues the tour. Oh, I made wow. this little altar of Alana. She shows me piles of mementos she's assembled into makeshift altars, 
a bunch of objects grouped around a photo of Alana. Yeah, and this was in her room. She really loved um, St. Therese. And she got me this in Rwanda. It's mm, beautiful. Yeah. Wooden carving of Mary. She picks up a Bible that belonged to her father and points to a bronze medallion with the serenity prayer etched in it. And he had this, which was crazy, because it's from Al-Anon. And I was like, God, did he go to Al-Anon? It was just because my, probably my mom was making him crazy. <laughs> Joyce is really open about her alcoholism and recovery. In fact, it's Alcoholics Anonymous that sets into motion her search for a spiritual home for her family. When I got sober, I was 28, and I was in Boulder, and... I wouldn't go to church. And my mom would call me at 28. You're at church Sunday. And I was like, no, AA is my church. And I just felt that way. As her kids got a little older, she started to change her mind. I, I remember when Sammy was at the age of communion, then I just felt like I want them to have that. Because I, when I was in AA, I used to say my higher power is Jesus. I just felt like, God, we all need something, you know, prayer life, something like that. But that brought me back to the church, which was a struggle. She ended up church shopping, first joining a gospel choir at a Presbyterian church, which exposed her to different denominations, and eventually landing at Sacred Heart of Mary, a Catholic church in Boulder. So one day after church, because I, you know, I I could tell they weren't into into it. The college students uh, came up and made an announcement at the pulpit about this camp, and they they seemed funny, they seemed like college students, really cool. Joyce thought this would be a great opportunity to get her kids interested in God. So I asked them, and they were like, no, 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 like, no way we're going to that camp. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if the college students heard us talking, but all of a sudden one of them came over. And she was probably the sweetest one and seemed the nicest and not weird. And she was just like, oh, come on, guys, you know, you could just try it. It's going to be so much fun. And she actually got on her knees. It was a little weird. And she was like, come on, come on, come on. And, you know, they're so good and sweet. They, they were like, okay, we'll try one. The kids ended up going to the first day of camp. And they came back that night really excited. Alana and Carissa were sitting at the table, the kitchen table, and they, they were like, Mom, it was so good, it was so good, and their tears were rolling down their face, and I was like, why are you crying? And they were saying, we were, we were hearing stories, you know, like it was someone was raped. Some serious stuff, for, I thought, for their age, and then, but they found God, and, and they loved Jesus so much, and they're so happy, and they overcame this. And I, you know, I remember thinking, well, I hear people speak in 12-step programs and it's very moving you always get to the end where it's like wow great there and so I was a little concerned and I asked a little bit more questions and then I just they were just like we loved it they finished the rest of the week at camp and that's when Joyce remembers a change in Alana who's 13 at the time the very next Sunday in in mass in the same church Alana was on the edge of the pew and she was sitting up, and she had her hands in prayer, and she was, like, focused, night and day. Like, doing everything perfectly that you need to do in the Mass. And then I remember asking her, because she was even more devout, and I said, well, what are you doing? And she goes, well, we learned what to do in between these things that the regular people do. During Mass, most run-of-the-mill Catholics are barely following along and probably spacing out. But the really devout ones... The ones in the know know, for example, that after the priest has handed out communion, that's the time to be in quiet reflection and give thanks for having received the body of Christ. 
I mean, I, I, I just was shocked. I was shocked, but I was like, wow. This marks the beginning of Alana's deepening interest in Catholicism. Yeah. We're in Joyce's walk-in closet and rummaging through a box of Alana's keepsakes. She wrote this. Um, she was really, really, really super religious when she wrote. So this is 2015. She wrote, Raise a glad cry, you barren, and who never bore a child. Break forth in jubilant song, you who have never been in labor. For more numerous are the children of the deserted wife than the children of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Is this from the Bible? Yeah. Do not fear, you shall not be put to shame. For the shame of your youth you shall forget. The reproach of your widowhood no longer remember. As we poke around the closet, I look up and spot two large piles of spiral notebooks. Are those all the diaries? Yeah, the the ones. She had so many of these, like, like notebooks and notebooks and notebooks. Over the last two years, Joyce has been telling me about Alana's journals. She found nearly two dozen of them in Alana's bedroom, and she's eager to show them to me in hopes that I might have some insight. I help Joyce carry them off the shelf. Ugh, this is 2015, Simon. What age would she have? So she would have been 19. 19. Yeah, what was anything interesting there? Well, first she's writing on... This is how firm a foundation, how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. It looks like it's a song. It's okay. a hymn. And then she writes, maybe she wrote a poem or is this a hymn too? I will come to you in the silence. I will lift you from all your fear. I think it's, a, it's another hymn. Okay. And then she writes, Jesus, you keep answering my prayers. I ask, save me from the sin of apostasy. Apostasy. That's a medieval term meaning abandoning the faith. Teach me, please. Teach me to evangelize, to proclaim, to live the faith in love, to speak of you at home and abroad. Amen. I've written these same prayers in my journals. And in reading Alana's words, I feel a little less alone. I don't know anyone else who as a teen was this focused on God. Joyce tells me that Alana also stood out for her religiosity. She was known around town as the saint, and not just because of her prayers. Oh my God. What? This is a letter from Shorty. And Shorty was an alcoholic that Alana met under the bridge in Boulder and would read the Bible to her. Shorty lost her children. She was like the worst drunk I met her. And Alana got her into this program to get sober. And Shorty says, Hi, Alana, how are you doing? I pray you are doing well and in good spirits. I know the last letter you wrote, you were having kind of a crummy time. I don't know if I told you that I moved last week. Now I've obtained permanent housing. That's a chance in a lifetime thing. So I have my very own apartment and it's brand new and never been lived in it. I am stoked. She just, she was keeping in touch with her. Wow. This is the kind of stuff she did. We find a few other letters like this, including one from an inmate who Alana evidently visited in jail. And you can tell from these letters that Alana wasn't just some drop-in do-gooder. 
she really had a relationship with these people. She was always, like, helping these people. As we page through her journals, we find plenty of entries showing a young girl's enthusiasm for her faith. Transcriptions of prayers and novenas, little to-do lists, clean the car, call Lynn, go to the bank, plan for the Rwanda trip, read Evangelii Gaudium, the book by the Pope. Parking ticket, practice Hebrew. And then we come across something different. And look at this. She writes, not good enough, not good example for kids, shy, never say the right thing, useless, dry, freeloader, not a good Catholic, ugly, not important, stupid, annoying, distracted, God gave up on me, blame, careless, nothing to say, God for everything, bad daughter, don't show appreciation, impatient, Cocky, silent, never defending God, outcast. Can't talk to Father deep because failure. Only think of myself, not a good friend, not a team player. Mean to joy, angry, jealous, will never love enough. Self-conscious, never live up to the saints. Confused, tempted, not pure. All I care about is Frisbee. She turns the page. God, I love you. Take all this crap, heal it, remove it, overcome it, teach me your ways, love me, carry me. I keep trying to leave you, but I want you. I want to live for you. I don't want anything between you and me. Amen. Love alone. This is crazy, Simon. All this weight that Alana carried on her own without anyone knowing. She's so hard on herself. And I wonder if Joyce ever noticed this when Alana was a kid. Was she always trying to be perfect even as like a little kid, you think? She said in one of that she was always trying to be perfect and she knew that we liked math and science and she got the best grades to keep us happy. And she didn't want like, us to fight, so she would just never do anything to get in trouble. Mm. Joyce looks at me and narrows her eyes. I feel like I need to make you a sandwich. <laughs> you haven't eaten anything. Is that but just like a the mother? <laughs> you haven't eaten anything. Even with all that's going on, she manages to be unintentionally funny. This was, I was telling you about this that I found this on her keyboard. It was just like kind of showed up and. I'm in Joyce's apartment, and she holds up a folded letter with Alana's own curly handwriting. Do you want me to read it to you? Yeah. Dear Alana, you are just a little girl, but you really don't like yourself. What if I told you that I love who you are? I love you how you are and how you will be tomorrow. You have beautiful hair and a beautiful face, and your family would miss you if you were gone. She takes a breath. Dear Alana, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't know what drove you to hurt yourself so badly. You were all alone. Why were you all alone? I know you don't understand how you can be loved or redeemed. I wish you could see that the people that love you, the people that matter, they don't hold you to those standards. They don't see you as defiled. 
They don't see you as someone that needs to be fixed or different than who you are. The people that love you are still with you. Those other people that left, that walked away, that couldn't follow you. They couldn't handle your light. They couldn't handle the shock, the surprise. They were too weak to see you for who you really are. But your mother, your real mother, and your real father, and your brother and sisters, they have walked with you. They see you, and now I see you, and I love you so much. So I read this at the memorial, and like it was really hard. (laughs) But I don't know, like if she wrote this the night before, I don't know, another time maybe? But it was so beautiful, but so sad. As I imagine Alana writing this letter to herself, my heart breaks. But that's not the only emotion I'm feeling. I'm feeling something stirring inside of me, a combination of fear and dread. Maybe it's because everything Joyce is reading to me feels so eerily familiar. I remember my earnest zeal, my spiritual rumination, my feeling of being abandoned. And if I'm honest, it's all stuff I'm still working through. And I can't help but wonder why I'm here and Alana's not. On Monday, December 9th, 2019, Alana Chen died by suicide. You may not understand how a young person so deeply in love with God would want to take their own life, but I do. I've been to that dark place where the light seems so far away. At the end of a long day, Joyce is sitting across from me on the floor, and there are papers everywhere. The giant Tupperware box looks like it's exploded open. Are you going to organize this later? Yeah. I'm never going <laughs> to... You will. No, I can't. All right, let's put this away. It'll be here. She's never going to write this book. You will. You will. Because I don't understand half of it. I don't understand. What's happened to her? feel Joyce's desperation, and I feel like I already have so much to tell her about my own life and how it might relate to Alana's. But am I ready to go there? And what does this say about a church I still know and love? I look at Joyce, surrounded by the notebooks, artwork, and photographs, her daughter's life laid out on the hardwood floor. And then I feel something else. It's a feeling of conviction. I have to help her understand what happened to Alana. I will follow you, follow you wherever you may go. Next time on Dear Alana. Today, 22 young women will begin their journey toward becoming a nun. 
how Alana's decision to become a nun is solidified when a controversial priest offers her spiritual direction. I will follow you Ever since you touched my hand I knew Dear Alana was created, hosted, and written by me, Simon Kentfung, and is a production of Tenderfoot TV, in association with A Slept Audio and the Center for Independent Documentary. It was produced by Lori Poliski, who also composed the music. Executive producers are myself, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Our supervising producer is Tracy Leeds Kaplan. Additional music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Sales and distribution by iHeartMedia. Our credit song, I Will Follow You, is by Toulouse. Show notes and resources can be found on our website, dearalana.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to follow the show, rate, and review. There isn't an ocean too deep A mountain so high it could keep Keep me away Away from my up this season I didn't want her to see him and then she was sneaking on the phone and then like I'm here I am the mother who's forbidding my daughter to to see a priest and to become a nun and it was what she wanted it made her happy but I didn't know what sin she confessed I didn't know she was attracted to girls no she didn't tell me she told him she confessed to him We believe that homosexuality is a symptom of early childhood trauma. We get the client to address those traumas, and they will experience a diminishment in their same-sex attraction. It was like a big deal at the Chen house that she was going on this date, and he picked her up, and like we had all met him. He's super nice. He's handsome. She brought me upstairs, and he said, Alana, what is that? Did you do this to yourself? I was like, what did you do? Dear Alana is an eight-part series released weekly. If you can't wait until next week, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus so you can binge the entire series right now, ad-free. Head to Apple Podcasts or tenderfootplus.com to subscribe now. 